0: Jericho Road is a podcast and a Sunday school class and a ministry of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. These days, we're looking at the whole Bible through the lens of living water, and we hope you'll join us.
1: Good morning, everybody. Um, My name is Kate Clinton. I am the communications director at St. Luke's, and I have Rich here with me today. We are going to try something new on the podcast in light of a book that we've been reading around the office. But... To begin, we have just finished 13 episodes of Living Water. I hope that many of you have listened along with us. It is going to continue after the new year, but I wanted to start by asking Rich how that is going, how the theme of water has changed how you read or even interpret the Bible.
0: Yeah, thanks, Kate. It's been going great. And we've got plenty more content before we finish. I've been asking people in the parish to send me references to water in the Bible. And the idea is this, once you sort of take the concept of water, you really can't unsee it. And it was an idea that started last summer that followed a trip that I, I took to Israel earlier in the spring. Uh, I'd taken a group and it occurred to me that Israel then and now is such a water stress place that I think about water all the time. They desalinate seawater. They use sewage to green the desert, and they talk about water. There's even only one golf course in Israel, and it's only one. And the reason why you don't have golf in Israel is because it takes a lot of water. So they think about water all the time. Water is political. Water is power. Uh, Jordan, the nation of Jordan right now, is so water stressed that they're making a deal with Israel to buy some of their desalinated seawater for drinking water. So water even, even binds nations together. Well, the same happens in the Bible. Once you start looking, you can see water everywhere. You just say the word, and there it is. The, in the Old Testament, the golden calf is a rain guide, and then the fall festival of Sukkot involved prayers for rain over the winter so that your crops would grow and you wouldn't die. And they called that prayer living water, which is where we get the podcast. So it's been fun, and it's, it's made the Bible, for me, uh, more relevant and taking these ancient people where you see what keeps them up at night, uh, makes them more real for today, so we'll we'll keep it going. And I'm asking the congregation: anytime you read scripture and you see a reference to water, you'll send it to me. And people are—it's it's a lot of fun. We'll keep it. We'll keep it going.
1: Have you thought anything about what you're going to do next?
0: So I thought I might take it, I might take another concept. If we did water, we might take the concept perhaps of a meal uh, or bread or something like that as as community. I think we could probably probably do a lot of these as we go forward. But I've got more water first.
1: I like it. Okay, so Rich recently read a book that we have gone crazy over and the office is all reading and it is titled Unreasonable Hospitality. It's by Will Jadera. Um, And Will is the owner, I believe, of um, the number one restaurant in the world or at one point was. um, It's called 11 Madison Park. Um, Rich, tell us, are there any new insights that you've um, taken from this book? and yeah. applied to St. Luke's.
0: We're crazy about this book, and, and I, think, I think anybody should, should read it. It's a restaurant book, but it's more than a restaurant book. It's really a book about, about life. It's about business, of course, but it's also about ordering your life uh, towards excellence through hospitality. The first thing I love about the book is it confirms some things that we've all uh, been doing around here at the church. I, I guess I'll back up and say that, that in 2018, we had a capital campaign in which we needed to redo our building. But we also bought some things that I might call shiny objects. We we, we thought we would enjoy them. We didn't sure quite how we needed them. Uh, we redid our kitchen, which was a nice upgrade. And then we built a television studio, which we frankly didn't know we would ever need. And then we built a pavilion out back. And I never made a strong case for the pavilion, except to say that I thought it would be cool to hear basketball squeaking out behind the church and, and children playing. All three of those things became the lifeboats, if you will, for our church. It kept us going through the pandemic disruption. And I'll say, I'll say this with with all sincerity, but also a little bit of humility. As hard as the pandemic disruption has been, and this is, of course, the physical pain and the loss and a lot of death. I mean, that's been terrible. And then, and then also just what's happened to our children and our senior adults and the people who've been sort of held back through the disruption. In spite of all that, I want to say that we can also, alongside The horror of what we've been through the last three years has really been a lot of juice at St. Luke's because it's enabled us to to show more hospitality and show it in different ways. We've always been a donor-driven church, meaning that we try to say yes where we can. But, you know, denominational churches like ours, we belong to a larger family. Uh, Much like the book, uh, what Will ran into was he was in the world of fine dining. In the world of fine dining, there are rules that must be followed. Or should they, right? In the spirit of fine dining, do you always have to do things the way they've always been done? In denominational churches, uh, we've always had these sort of boundaries or guardrails around what we do, except now I think the pandemic gave us an opportunity to play. So we begin thinking, to be an Episcopalian or an Anglican-worshipping Christian, is it what you do or is it how you think? Is it how you process so in our church for instance we're 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 kind and we read scripture with with a little bit of heart and 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 also looking for history and the story behind the story stuff like that right we're real tolerant of difference uh, that's what makes an episcopalian not necessarily which candle do you light first and so what we learned was that we could do things like the word which is a modern service and we could have breakfast all morning, and we can have, you know, yummy coffee and, and and creative spaces. We can do Sunday school in some new ways. We we're able to do all these things, one, because the pandemic required us to do it. But then two, we realized uh, that we're really having a lot more fun. In short, the disruption gave us some juice that we didn't expect. So that's the first way I think that the book has excited me, is it sort of confirmed what we're finding out to be true here, which is, hey, be be really generous and extravagant in the way you say yes to people.
1: Jadera starts this book um, by talking about they're at this big conference and they're naming the top 50 restaurants, and he's named number 50, and he's disappointed, obviously, and sad. Um, It's sort of where he begins to talk about unreasonable hospitality and that that would be the one thing that would take them over sort of the threshold into becoming number one and that he would have to be unreasonable Um, And he talks about the human desire to be taken care of. And I think that you do this really well. I tell people all the time that you might meet a new family on a Sunday morning, meet their three children, and then see them in the pig the next week and know their names and know their ages and something funny that they thought was important that day. Um, You talk a lot about your mentor who sort of taught you what you know about hospitality, and I thought maybe you could share some core core themes on that.
0: Thanks, Kate. So for 13 years before I went to seminary, I worked in a clothing store that was recently recognized as Alabama Retailer of the Year. It's a store called The Locker Room in Montgomery. There are other locker room stores uh, that are high-end men's retailers, uh, Tuscaloosa being the most famous for people around here. That's sort of the origin store. The one in Montgomery, George's store, he has weathered many, many, many storms and has been told many, many times why he couldn't do what he does, and yet he just he just figures out a way to create an experience for the customer. Like George says, you know, everybody's got to have a plumber, and everybody's got to have a doctor, and everybody's got to have a you know financial planner, and you have to have experts in your life. Well, what George does is that George takes care of people through life moments when when you when your daughter's getting married, George makes sure that you're wearing the right, you know, the right things, and you're wearing something that makes you feel good. When you have an interview or you want to uh, buy your ninth grader his first navy blazer, I mean, George, George just has everything, all the tools for a person to sort of live through their lives. And I was formed in that in that way before I went into the church, which is cool because churches are nonprofits, In the nonprofit world you don't necessarily think about unreasonable hospitality in, in in a way that you would in a for-profit world. So in some ways, I've used those, I've used that passion that George has for creating a total experience in the church. And there's something I'll say that I got excited about the book. I was excited when, when being 50, one of the 50 world's best restaurants, which is like a real thing, right? Not like world's best cup of coffee. It's a real thing. He's one of the 50 in the world out of out of 10 gazillion restaurants, he's one of the 50 But that's too low of a bar for him. And I think what happens in the nonprofit world for many of our churches, our bar is just too low. I mean, we think if we have, you know, a dozen kids in Sunday school, we've checked the box and we sort of barely make our budget. We check the box. We just sort of do the same old things that that we've just sort of settled. And we could do that and we can exist. But but I think trends are showing that that especially post pandemic. Post-pandemic life or post-pandemic disruption life, uh, people are really discerning on what they're going to do. And places that have a that don't have a passion and they don't have a, a very high bar of excellence, I think people are going to opt out. It's a little like the great resignation for work. They're not going to do the work they don't want to do, and they're not going to give you give you a Sunday morning. So the decline of Christianity is, is not the decline of the gospel, and it's not the decline of the truth of the message. It's the decline of the vehicle that's delivering it. And I like to—I'd like to think that we've got a, a passionate church that's going to keep people connected to Jesus because we're—we're we're a fun place to be.
1: That's so good. I love that. So we obviously have a particular love of food here because of the kitchen ministry, and it's been really neat, even since the pandemic, to see the ways that we are able to care and love on people through food, um, which it's been fun because this book deals specifically with a restaurant and the way that hospitality applies to food and service. Um, what, I mean, I don't know, share with us some thoughts.
0: Sure. So so one of the pandemic miracles, I would say, uh, was the pavilion out back. Another pandemic miracle uh, was the uh, chef joining our church. I mean, Jimmy is is an absolutely marvelous cook. And what he brought brought to us was a new way of, of seeing food. It was his way of seeing food. Um Here's the story. When everybody was locked down in 2020, right, all the churches were locked down. We were on Zoom church. I mean, everybody had to do the same thing. You couldn't come in your building. Uh, Jimmy went and got our kitchen, our newly renovated kitchen, Board of Health certified, which means that unlike most churches, we have a retail kitchen now. We don't have a kitchen where volunteers can wander in. You have to have a food handler's card. So then, then everybody got the PPE money. Well, we, we filed for the PPE money so that everyone could stay employed, is what I'm trying to say. But we needed something to do, so everybody got a food handler's card. This means that that support staff did this, and facility staff did this, and preachers did this, and youth ministers did this, and so we're all cooking and prepping for Jimmy. And we started this Wednesday night uh, takeout program, in which food became food became church. Uh, what had happened pre-pandemic is we had a program and we had a meal, and all that was lovely. Our, our food has always been a, a nice asset at St. Luke's. Our food has always been an important part of, of what we do. Uh, but in many ways, it was a lost leader. It was something that we offered as hospitality and then, and, then it was, and, then, and then it was gone. It was offered for a certain amount of time. We made the decision to serve it and then, and then we didn't serve it anymore. Uh, what, Jimmy, what Jimmy brought to us was an opportunity to one create a restaurant that kind of serves food all the time. And what I mean by that is now Wednesday nights from 4.30 to 6.00 uh, now, it was just a, a continual experience of giving people food and meeting them in the car. So in a way, instead of reaching 30, 40 people on a Wednesday night, which we would have been perfectly happy to to do, we're now reaching hundreds and hundreds of people, praying with them in their cars, um, catching up with them, seeing the same people week after week, uh, laughing about the Wednesday night menu. It was just one little tweak, right, just turn, just turning the screw just a little bit and looking at hospitality in a different way. Now that was the beginning. So then when when we came back when the when the church was ready to open again uh, in fits and starts in 2021 because I know we had some pandemic problems uh, waves there we had some some variants if you will that sort of upset us and then 2022 has been much more of an unbroken uh year for us. We wanted to go back to breakfast but we didn't know how. Because with the pandemic, it it created a new schedule and we didn't know where to fit breakfast. Remember, the old way is you would start to serve food and then you stop serving food. So what we decided and we all I think we came to a collective idea, but we decided to serve the food all morning. From seven to noon, we took all the furniture out of the parlor and we put high toppers in there with a steam table in the middle. And because, remember, because of COVID, things were pre-wrapped. And so we had pre-wrapped egg wraps and sausage biscuits and uh, donuts that Jimmy makes. The food is really yummy. And and we serve it all morning. Now what's happened is that people are, it's creating a buzz around the steam table. People are talking, they're laughing, they're meeting new people. I think there was something in the past, meaning pre-pandemic, where we walk through a steam line with a tray, it was not very hospitable. When you're when you're carrying a tray and you go into your family table, you're not seeing people around you. When you're standing around a high topper uh, munching on a breakfast quesadilla, or sometimes Jimmy will call it a Sunday morning surprise, and it might be salmon, or it might be one, one morning we had truffle eggs that were crazy, uh, and and we're laughing over that, and we're we're waving people over to the table. Uh, I've just noticed that that the welcoming and the laughter and the hospitality all around food has created a Sunday morning experience like none other. I I know this sounds crazy to say, but I don't know another church quite as exciting as ours because we've got the food all morning. And I'm really, really happy to tell you that I look forward to Sundays with anticipation because I know I'm going to have a lot of fun.
1: It sounds like a kind of small detail, but I think What's great about it is you're not rushing out the door from church to go feed your kids lunch or, you know, it really encourages people to stick around and therefore community is built and relationships are built and people are getting to know each other better because of the food.
0: And that's just one. The other thing that it's done is it's driven attendance at 11, which makes me very, very happy. I need to say there are two, there are two pillars to our hospitality. I think I think one is food, the other is music. And all of our music is good. Um. The Word has become sort of famous in the neighborhood because we've taken community church music from the much larger community churches that we have in our city that are great. Uh, we've taken sort of those forms, and we've, we've, we've given that Anglican thought. So you've got communion in the Word, but you've also got Hillsong, if, if that makes sense. So you've got the food and you've got the music. The cool part about breakfast all morning now is if you've got that one slow kid or you don't like to get up early in the morning, you can come later and get breakfast and go to church at 11. And the music at 11 is equally uh, great. I had a family, they're joining our church. Uh, they have joined our church. They're new to our church. But they joined our church from the Word. They came from a community church background. And for some reason, they were running late. So they got breakfast. They went to 11, and they were blown away by the service. Now, the 11 o'clock service is in the nave of the church. We call it our cathedral-style worship. And and it's all the great things that Episcopal churches can can claim. It's got majesty and, of course, acolytes in the vested choir. But what we did post-pandemic, because we're on television, and I, I, I like to say that one good idea begets another good idea begets another good idea. Because we're on television, we leave the choir down front now. And the, the way that our church is architecturally arranged is the choir sits in the gallery and they're pretty, but you can't see them. So we leave them down front for the first part of the service, right up to the sermon, and they sing two anthems. And I asked our choir master, Philip Copeland, if we could not consider doing music that's more telegenic and and more easy on children, and so my my analogy is more Boston pops and less Boston Symphony, right? more Boston pops movie soundtrack music, so they might they might sing a lush and complicated four part. Shall we gather at the river? And everybody just cries. I mean, it's amazing. So not only do we have the food now bringing them, but they've got this emotion coming through the music uh, on a Sunday morning. It's really it's really hard to beat. And that's the that's the passion that I hope that we're harnessing and that we're just going to keep going. I, I want it to be the best it could possibly be.
1: I'm not sure if I read this in the book or on the Internet, but um, it is suggested that unreasonable hospitality – is to try a small experiment with radical intent, which I think is you know, very on theme with all that we're talking about. What impact do you think we might see here at the church or even in our community, which we care deeply about, if we considered daily how we might treat people with unreasonable hospitality?
0: Okay, I think there are two ways that we can apply this book to, to us. I think we can apply this book to our church and the experience that we have at church together. And then I think we can also apply it in our daily lives. And this is probably why I got most excited about the book. I mean, initially, it's fun to it's fun to have a confirmation that you're doing something cool. Great. Uh, But the the key thing for me and it's funny, the staff reads this book and everybody reads something different. But but what I read was uh, that Will in his in his restaurant business, he was able to capture the two halves of of the restaurant brain, the back of the house and the front of the house. And so some restaurants are all about the chef. This is the fine dining world, by the way, the chef. Uh, creates absolutely amazing food. It's not important in the front of the house. You know some restaurants are absolutely great at hospitality, but the food's not really the not really the point. It's really about the fun that you're going to have when you're there. Uh, what will does in this book is he says that his restaurant captures both. Here, I think churches can say the same thing. I think some churches can be very, very good at being a church, being a well-run church, uh, being great stewards of what has been entrusted to them. They don't spend a nickel, they always make their budget. Uh, they they keep the place absolutely squeaky clean, uh, but then but then maybe they're not maybe they don't meet the the donors' need maybe they don't meet the pastoral need of the, of the of the congregation. I say to my clergy all the time on a Sunday morning, I don't want you to talk to each other. I want you to talk to the people. It, we it does it's no good to talk to people who are paid to be here. We need to talk to the people who are who are here, and that's a passion of mine. I don't want clergy huddled in a corner just with themselves. And so Jadero would call that corporate dumb. Well corporate smart would be uh to have a really well run uh well run church so that you can have great outreach. That that would be corporate smart. And then restaurant restaurants can be smart and dumb too. That's the front of the house and churches can do this. If we if we spend lots and lots and lots of the church's resources on something that's only driving a, or drawing a few people because we've always done it that way. You know here at St. Luke's, you know there might have been something that John Claypool did which made a lot of sense in the late 80s and early 1990s, but if we're still Still doing that same program over and over again, or that that same midweek offering, or that same whatever whatever we might have done. That's like hanging on to archaeology. It, it's it makes us tired, and it's not restaurant smart. It's it's restaurant dumb. Uh, if we're not hospitable in that way that we're seeking to be with the food, and and if we're if we don't talk to our friends and we don't welcome new people, that's restaurant dumb. So I think you I think you're beginning to see you can be excellent at both. You you can be both. A well-run organization, but you can also be really friendly. And that's what he's able to do with his restaurant. In our personal lives, I think you could also apply this to just good stewardship of what God's given you. Uh, God wants us to be thrifty, no question. God wants us to live within our means and to and to and to, to use our own wits to to live an ordered Safe life and have something to hand down to our children. I mean, I think that's, that's the best way I can say this as a as a parent of grown children and hopefully a grandparent one day soon. Uh, no question, but but we also need to live a life of passion, and we need to have fun. And we need to make friends, and we need to enjoy the the world that God has given us. I had a conversation with a young parent here in Crestline a few weeks ago, and he said, "You know, we could buy a new car, but I'd rather take my children to Europe and give them an experience." Have so they they've made a choice to to Build the bonds of their family, and to educate their children, and to have an experience of joy. I think that's both. I think that's both corporate smart and restaurant smart. I think that's a win-win. So, I so maybe the best thing St. Luke's can do for people is while we're bringing the world to Jesus, uh, we're attracting people to a lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle that we hope that they will live with us. Something that's passionate and generous and kind, of course, and something that's hopeful and happy, uh, but also something that's smart and and something that that makes makes good um, makes good sense in the world. Something with good outreach and something with good stewardship and something that takes care of the building so that it can be a model, if you will, for healthy living for everybody.
1: This book talks a lot about the human desire to be taken care of, Um Specifically, he's referring to his employees, taking care of people where they are. He even says that um, people will never forget the way you made them feel.
0: So when I was in seminary, I went to seminary in 1994, and I had this classmate uh, who was just a real curious guy and and, and, and a really, really good friend. And he, he said, you've got to try this thing that's come to Alexandria, it's called Starbucks. You just got to try this with me. And I said, Jim, what, you know, I heard that was an expensive coffee shop. He said, it's not about the coffee. It's the coolest place ever. And he took me over there and Starbucks, you know, initially, was created to be a third space for people. In other words, it was intended to be uh, uh, not your house and not your church, but but your living room away from home, if you will. And it was. It was a place where we studied. Sure, we paid $4 for a cup of coffee, which seemed ridiculous at the time, uh, and we continue to do so today because you want to sit on those sofas and listen to that cool music. And we, we we wrote papers over there, and we we met people over there, and we studied over there. Starbucks had this genius for for creating in culture a place now that that coffee shops everywhere have 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 copied I mean coffee shops this is how they how they exist they become these these extensions of our home. My hope and my goal is and I think we're well on our way to getting there is that saint luke's is is an extension of your living room that that your experience here is no different here here I'll back up and tell you that the churches are having a hard time. Keeping up with the world around them, most churches are nineteenth-century ideas, and they they are beautiful and they are lovely. And churches are are important. and And of course, I'm a I'm a minister in a church, and I believe that that everybody should have a good church in their life. But the problem right now in 2022, headed into 2023, is that a church can't be too different than everything else you do. And a good example of this might be the um, a pledge card idea. You know, if if everything we do, if we can pay all of our bills online. And we give electronically to everything else, and we Venmo our children, we, and we we live in this electronic world, and yet your church is the only place that requires you to fill out a pledge card and find a stamp, then that's being out of step with the rest rest of your life. Similarly, if your church is the only place where you have to wear a tie, uh, uh, you know a, a man a man might might consider doing something else. I mean, if it's the, if it's the one place where you've got to be radically different than everything else you're doing. Then I, I don't think we're offering the hospitality that's required. So my hope is, is that St. Luke's is pivoting, moving. It is intentional. People do wear the new version of Sunday best, if you will. They do look nice. Nobody rolls in here in pajama bottoms. I mean, we, we look, you know, it's, it's, it might be more casual than it used to be, but it's still, it's still intentional. Uh, but my hope is, is that a Sunday morning experience Here is a little like that Starbucks. It's just an extension of your home. It's comfortable. It's easy. You leave a little better than when you came in.
1: Do you have any favorite um, stories from the book? I do, but you go first.
0: Favorite stories from the book. My favorite story from the book is, is this. This is the Episcopal Church writ large. So, um. He's meeting, he, Will's in the front of the house, and he's meeting an old friend that he knew from a previous restaurant before he bought into Eleven Madison Park. And he's he's talking to them, and he's got his hand on the table while he's talking to them. And the chef in the back goes completely nuts on this because in fine dining, you're not supposed to touch the table. And Will says, why not? They were my friends, right? We were in community with each other. And so you realize that that, that fine dining had been imposing a rule. Uh, that will will just just chose to ch- chose to say, well, why not? That's that's why we're here. We're friends. That was my aha moment. I had a I led a webinar. I led a webinar, and um, uh, for 150 churches around the country, because they wanted to hear about breakfast, which you now already know I'm very passionate about. And someone wrote in the middle of the in the middle of the webinar, "What about gluten free?" And I realized that the people who just can't see, they can't see what you see. So stories like that. Another favorite story of mine is the family that that came into the restaurant, and and this is this is a place that, Kate, we've already learned these these are four hundred dollar entrees, and so uh, they said we've had a great weekend in New York, but we just wish we had gotten one of those New York hot dogs. So he runs out the back and goes gets gets what they call a dirty water hot dog off off the corner and gives it to the chef and says, put this on the table with mustard and ketchup. And the chef is just absolutely appalled, right? That's never done. Yet what he did is he gave them the New York experience. I mean, why not? What's your favorite story?
1: So I liked the story about the family. It's early on in the book and the family is eating and talking about the need to go pay their parking meter, right? And the waiter says, well, where's your car? What does it look like? And he runs down the streets of New York to go pay the parking meter. And I think that's just a great example of, I don't know, it's mind blowing. Like if we all treated each other with that level of hospitality, you know, what would that look like and so, in the community? A, a
0: Sunday not too long ago, um my assistant Janella was standing meeting a new member, a mother, and she was holding her holding her, her older toddler, if you will, holding her toddler, uh, not 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 a, a bed baby, but just sort of a sort of a crawler. And she couldn't get to the food. And, and Janelle said, can I hold your child while you eat your egg wrap? that that's, that's radical hospitality. Lots of
1: themes of self-sacrifice and caring for people. Thanks, Rich. This was fun. Um, we encourage everybody to read this book. It's bright yellow. And if you're around the halls of St. Luke's, you're welcome to borrow one. <laughs> there are a lot of great light bulb moments in this book. And it's just been a good conversation starter for our staff. So we hope that you'll read it. It's called Unreasonable Hospitality and um, Living Water is going to continue beginning in January and we're excited and look forward to it and I hope you will tune in.